Good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be reading from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 verse 11 through to chapter 2 verse 17. Um, this can be found on page 989 of the church Bibles if you have one. To this end we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Thank you very much, um, EJ, and thank you to Becca uh, for uh, leading us and our musicians and prayers and readers. Now, over the summer at the uh, 10.30 service, we're studying 2 Thessalonians at 6.30, Malachi and Proverbs on Tuesday evenings. Whatever we study in the Bible at any time, 
we need to remember that we're listening to God speak to us. In the first letter to the church in Thessalonica, Paul encourages the church with these words. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your revelation to us in your Word. And we pray that we will receive your Word today. Not simply listen, but listen and hear and accept and obey, because it is the Word of God. Help me to preach it faithfully, and may the Word of God work in us to bring clarity and comfort and conviction and confidence concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Now, while E.J. read from uh, verse 11 of chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 2, the section we'll focus on is chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. The subject is absolutely clear, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His second coming. Now, let me just pause there. Where we gathered as a community of believers before the coming of Christ, His birth, His incarnation, His life, we would be in exactly the same kind of frame as we are here, believing in the Word of God, but not perhaps absolutely confident and clear and living in light of the inevitability of His coming, doubting perhaps. Now, let me read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect of the day of the Lord to come. Now, there's the context. The church in Thessalonica had been unsettled by teaching to the effect that the day of the Lord had already come. And this teaching or letter seems to be from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But Paul writes and the letter that we know as two Thessalonians, to reassure the Christians in Thessalonica that this false teaching, this view that the day of the Lord had already come, is not true, and it's not come from them. And importantly, the day of the Lord has not yet come. Now, first, and I think Paul wants them, and therefore us, to have this in mind, let's remind ourselves of what Paul has already taught the Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot in the Bible about the coming of the Lord Jesus, His second coming, the day of the Lord. 
And it's not appropriate for us to go and embrace all of that. Let me simply say to you that what is taught here in Thessalonians is consistent with the rest of the Bible. But what is appropriate for us to do is if Paul has said something in the first letter about this, that is an appropriate context for us. Or if Paul has said something in the passage immediately before, he intends them and us to be mindful of that. So let's remind ourselves of what he has already taught this church in Thessalonica about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, consider first what he wrote in the first letter. Turn back in your Bibles or swipe back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that's page 987. And the section in 1 Thessalonians from 4.13 through to 5.11 is all about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, in that section, Paul refers to the coming of the Lord Jesus as the day of the Lord. They mean the same thing. The day of the Lord is when Jesus comes again. Now, whenever the Bible addresses the subject of the coming of the Lord Jesus, whenever the Bible addresses that subject, the Bible does so for a reason. Now, in the first letter, there are two reasons for Paul addressing the subject. The first one, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, is to comfort and to reassure the Christians in Thessalonica about what happens to people who die before the Lord comes again. And that's a, a, just good to pause there, and, and it, it illustrates the point really powerfully that when the Bible, when God in His Word talks about something like the coming of the Lord, it is for a reason. And the reason here is comfort to grieving people. What happens to people who die before the day of the Lord when Jesus comes? An important question then and still. Christians who die before the Lord are described in 1 Thessalonians as those who have fallen asleep. Now, you may see that on gravestones asleep in Jesus. When Jesus comes, they will be raised to everlasting life first. Then all Christians living when Jesus comes will be gathered to Him. The second reason, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, that Paul addresses in that first letter, the coming of the Lord, is so that Christians live in a state of constant consciousness and readiness for the Lord's coming. Not so that we live in fear or on tender hooks, but so that we're focused, galvanized with clear priorities in light of the fact of the Lord's coming. And that's just logical if you think about it. If we live like that, not in the edge, not in fear, not in tender hooks, but living in light of the fact of the Lord's coming, and we don't know when it is, then we will be galvanized and focused with clear priorities in view. Let me just read verses 8 to 11 of chapter 5 of the first letter, which summarizes Paul's teaching 
about the coming of Jesus. This is the first letter, chapter 5, 8 to 11. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, here's the purpose of the teaching on the coming of the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, Paul, I think, legitimately expects the Thessalonians to remember what he had written in the first letter concerning the Lord's coming, and he expects us to do the same. But he also expects them to have in mind what he has just said in the first part of the second letter. So turn there with me, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Paul writes there, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Now, that's the immediate context. And the coming of the Lord Jesus, Paul teaches them and us, will be a time of division. For Christians, when the Lord Jesus comes, there will be it's good to mark this. This is what Paul says. The first thing, there will be relief. Relief from persecution. And there will be justice. God will punish those who have persecuted Christians. And verse 10, when Jesus comes, it will be a glorious day for Christians. And for those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the category Paul describes, for those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is referring to everyone who has rejected the offer of the gospel, the Lord's everlasting judgment will fall. So, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a clear division. Eternal glory for believers, eternal hell for unbelievers. Now, the reason Paul is teaching them that and us is because the Christians in Thessalonica, in company with the majority of Christians, throughout history, and the majority of Christians in the world today are suffering persecution and affliction as followers of Jesus. And from the start of the church in Thessalonica, there had been strong persecution, and it was getting worse. And so, Paul wants to comfort them, 
to encourage them and strengthen them to keep going. And he does that by teaching them about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, you will know relief. Then he says, justice will be done. And then he says, you will glory in the presence of Jesus. So, all of that is what Paul has already taught the Thessalonians about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's turn second to what Paul teaches here in 2 Thessalonians verses 1 to 12. Just uh, notice first verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? What Paul is teaching them here in this letter, he has already taught them when he was with them in person. And there is an important point in that, that the apostles' teaching is consistent. They can trust what Paul says, because what Paul teaches is the Word of God. Now, what I want us to do is simply walk through these verses carefully, and that, I think, is the best way to understand what they mean. So, Follow with me in your Bibles, that'll help a lot, and together we'll uh, try to understand what Paul is saying. So, verse 1, now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. When Jesus comes, Christians will be gathered together to Him. Now, we already know that Christians who have died before Jesus' coming will be raised first. And they will be gathered along with Christians who are living when Jesus comes. Now, that phrase, our being gathered together to Him, is a beautiful description of what will happen. It is personal. It is familial. It is intimate are being gathered to Jesus, are being gathered to our Lord Jesus. Moreover, the gathering is the activity of God. We are not to gather around Him. We are gathered by Him around Him. It is the work of God. It is a supernatural event. Think of a local church. Think of Chalmers located in a particular community, along with other local churches in this city scattered here and there. Think of Scotland, local churches scattered in the cities, in the towns, in the villages, rural areas on the mainland, on the islands, larger, smaller churches, some meeting in church buildings, some in schools or homes, local churches scattered across a country, and local churches scattered across countries all over the world, some above ground, open and free to proclaim the gospel, some underground, facing persecution. The big picture, the universal heavenly church. And on the earth, the church today is made up of thousands and thousands of scattered communities, each of them in a place where Christians are gathered. And when Jesus returns, all of these scattered gatherings on the earth, local churches through all of history, will be gathered 
together when the church in heaven, the universal church, becomes the church on earth. Is what the Bible means by the new creation. Now, verse 2, as we've seen, is the reference to the view being circulated wrongly purported to be from Paul that the day of the Lord has come. That is not true, verse 3. They are not to be deceived. The day of the Lord has not come. The Lord Jesus' coming is still in the future. It was still in the future for them then, and it is still in the future for us now. Jesus has not come yet. The day of the Lord is still to happen. How do we know? Because there are other things that must happen first. Just read with me from verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless… This is crystal clear what he's teaching. That day, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord Jesus will not come unless… The rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So, what must happen first? A rebellion against God and His people, and the sense is on a big scale, and the appearance of the man of lawlessness, and they are connected. The man of lawlessness will lead the rebellion. Now, the plain reading of what Paul writes, and there is no reason to take it any other way. Why would he write in riddles to a church that was anxious and confused and needing straight answers? Why would he write in riddles to a church that was being persecuted and need to be steadied with truth? The plain reading of what Paul writes is that there is a time ahead in history for them and still for us, immediately before the day of the Lord, a time before the coming of the Lord Jesus, when someone will lead a rebellion against God and His people on a massive scale. That's what it says. And the person leading the rebellion is described as the son of destruction, the end of verse 3. Verse 4, or the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This person considers themselves to be God. This person demands everyone worships them and no one else. They claim to be the only and one God. They take the place of God. He takes his seat in the temple of God. Paul refers to the church usually as the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, Paul taught this to them when he was with them in person, verse 5. Now, let's, let's just check against what is and can be the default when we consider the coming of the Lord Jesus or the day of His coming, that it becomes a matter of speculation or 
controversy or an interesting subject. Let's just leave that to one side and clock how frightening this is. And go back to what I said right at the start. Were we living in a period before the first coming of the Lord Jesus, before the Savior? Were we celebrating the Passover, anticipating the coming of the, the, the Messiah? Our sense of will that actually happen is exactly like our sense now of will this actually happen. And, and the Bible, God's Word, is saying to us, yes, it will happen, and before it happens, there will be two things, two signs, a rebellion and a man of lawlessness, a son of destruction. And it's frightening. Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. You know what is restraining the man of lawlessness now so that he, the man of lawlessness, may be revealed in his time. There's something holding him back from coming. When will the man of lawlessness appear and lead this rebellion? When God permits it. For now God is restraining him. And that's helpful. It's not helpful. It's vital. When you start thinking about this kind of thing and coming to terms with the truth of it, the questions that will arise, is God sovereign? And this is steadying and reassuring truth, verse 6, about the sovereignty of God. God is in control until God determines otherwise the man of lawlessness is restrained. What will the man of lawlessness and the rebellion he leads be like? Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, what Paul is teaching here is that through the history of the church, individuals appear who show us what the man of lawlessness will be like. They are not the man of lawlessness who will come at the end before Jesus' coming, but they are like him. Elsewhere in the Bible, this is expressed in the language of antichrists or anti-Christians in comparison to the antichrist. For example, in 1 John 2 verse 18, you have heard that antichrist is coming. That's a singular person. So, how, so now many antichrists have come. So we know what the rebellion will be like. We know what this figure will be like because we have seen it foreshadowed in history. Who are these people? Well, in recent history, Adolf Hitler, I guess. Kim Jong-un. Xi Jinping. Is that bold to see? 
All of them claim godlike status. All of them on a significant scale persecute Christians. But none of them is the man of lawlessness, or so it seems. And that comment, so it seems, is important. We don't truly know. How do we know they are not the man of lawlessness? I don't think we can truly know. I guess because their rebellion is not global. Their self-proclamation as God is not to the extent of what will happen. But ultimately, only God knows who and when. That is what Paul is saying in the second half of verse 7. Only He, that is God, who now restrains, that is, restrains this man of lawlessness, this rebellion from working itself out in the earth, only He who until He, God, He. Verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. And that will be a terrible, frightening time in human history. And whichever generation of Christians has to live through that, We'll turn to the next statement in 2 Thessalonians, because this is what they need to know, that the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Behind the lawless one is Satan, verse 9. Satan was defeated at the cross. So the lawless one's destruction is guaranteed, but Satan will fight to the end, seeking through his agents, his antichrists or lawless people, and through the antichrist or man of lawlessness to deceive as many people as possible so that they will go to hell. The devil's heart is hellish. His desire is to take people with him to hell. Satan is referred to elsewhere in the Bible as the prince of this world and the father of lies. And the coming of the lawless one and the rebellion he leads will be accompanied by demonic power, false signs and wonders, and wicked deception. Countless millions will be deceived. And then another shock in what Paul teaches. Why are people taken in by the deception? Why are they now? Why will they be then? Notice precisely what Paul says, verse 10b. They will be taken in by the deception because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. In other words, they heard the truth and they said no to the truth. And therefore God, verse 7, sends them a strong delusion so that they will 
believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And notice that the, the giving over of people to believing the, the lies of this man of lawlessness and his rebellion is after they have heard and said no to the invitation of the gospel. So, who is behind the God delusion that will come? Who is behind the evil teaching of the man of lawlessness? Who is behind it? The shocking answer and the comforting answer, given his sovereignty, is God. He is sovereign over everything. He will lift the restraint, allowing the man of lawlessness to rule for a time, and he will condemn those who do not believe the truth, now by convincing them to believe in the lie. Now, that is frightening. Towards the end of his life, Winston Churchill was asked if he was ready to meet his maker. His reply, is he ready to meet me? And that is not funny. Don't mess with God. Do not ever think that God is not ready to meet you. Why do we need teaching about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. Why do we need this teaching? Why it is important? Andy Robertson suggested that I would benefit from more alliteration in my preaching. So here are four C's, because they all are actually happen to begin with C. Why do we need all this? One, for clarity. God's Word reveals truth. Thank God for that. Thank God that He tells us what will happen, what is happening, and what to do. comfort. It is frightening being a Christian. In many parts of the world, in the majority of the world, in the majority of the history of the church, the experience of the Thessalonians absolutely up against persecution and affliction is normal. It is frightening to be a Christian. It is frightening to live in this world as a Christian. In many parts of the world, and increasingly in this part of the world, the anti-God, anti-Christ agenda is getting stronger. At uh, the wedding on Friday, I was sitting next to somebody at, at the meal, and they were talking about their son who had just come back from a, a camp. And he said, when my son is in the camp, he is safe. When he comes back, he just hits this wall with his mates, a kind of 16-year-old. The anti-God and anti-Christ agenda is getting stronger. This should not, however, take us to, by surprise or lead us to doubt the gospel, to doubt God. 
That's clarity. But God does not just give us clarity. He gives us comfort because it's hard. God reveals these things to comfort us, to reassure us that He has chosen us, that He loves us, and that He will guard and keep us, strengthen us to keep going. That's why He doesn't talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, to convict us, the Lord Jesus has not come yet. The day of the Lord has not happened yet. There are things that are still to happen. There remains time for people to repent and believe. And so we are not to bunker down, but a plan to act with vision and strategy. Appropriately, there was a slide up earlier with three new ministry associates on it to be trained and to deployed in the harvest fields of this country we are to do that kind of stuff. We are to plan. We are to plant churches, send out gospel partners, to give generously to gospel work, to speak to people about Jesus. Why not take a rest and live easy? After all, Jesus hasn't come yet. And that's why we need 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 ringing in our minds. Be ready at all times. We do not know when He will come. God only knows. Martin Luther said, Live with two days in view, the day of the Lord and today. Clarity, comfort, conviction, and confidence. In spite of all appearances, in spite of all that we feel, and all that we see with our eyes as Christians, we are beginning to understand this on this side of the world now as we come out of the, the arrogant world of Christendom. In spite of all that it appears, we as Christians are on the side of Jesus Christ, the side that will prevail. And so, and Roger will unpack all the application of this next Sunday, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15. Let me just read one verse. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by the apostles. Don't change the gospel. Don't depart from the Word of God, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Isn't it interesting that along with the stand firm, he gives us an application of what that means. Hold to the traditions you were taught. Now, lastly, question. Will you refuse to love the truth and so be saved? This Bible passage, this letter to Thessalonians is addressed to people who are Christians but if you are not yet a Christian listening in, once again you have heard the truth about your need of salvation and how to be saved. That is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to remove the wrath of God. 
that hangs over every unconverted Christian soul. Headed to hell. How often have you heard and refused to love the truth? How long will it be that because you have refused to love the truth and be saved, God will convince you to believe the lie? Well, I hope and pray and have been this week that no one listening has reached that point. If you have reached that point, you will have heard nothing this morning. But if you can still hear God's voice speaking, then do not delay in responding to His invitation any longer. Let's pray. Our Father, these are serious things. We thank you for the clarity and the comfort and the convictions and the confidence this portion of God's Word gives us. And we pray, Lord, for any who are not yet saved and safe in Christ, that today they would heed the call of the gospel and come to the Lord Jesus Christ with repentant hearts for the forgiveness of their sins. And so be safe and secure. And look forward to heaven and not hell. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.